All right, welcome to the Peyton Years, your home for Oregon State men's basketball, the only podcast in existence dedicated solely to Oregon State men's basketball. As always, I'm your host, Andy Clark, and I'm here with my friend Sam. Sam, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Andy. It's It's been a very busy time for both of us, so happy Martin Luther King Day to everybody. We're recording this late on MLK Day, and, um, you know, it served as a nice distraction from some of the frustrations we've been dealing with lately that are sort of outside our control, and that's been needed, I think, right now for Oregon State basketball fans specifically, and nobody else. Yeah, no one else needs it but, but us, <clears throat> and... Oregon State is coming off back-to-back losses, but even Nick Daschle, legendary Beaver Bias reporter Nick Daschle, is coming along, coming around on this team. So I think there were a lot of positives <laughs> to take away from the two losses, as well as a couple of Beaver Bias bullshit calls, at least in the USC game to talk about. Yeah, I'm well, go, like right even before we play the fight song, not like. If you weren't boosted by that vote of confidence by Dashel of all people, then then you're made of stone. I mean, like, how can you not feel hopeful after after that tweet? Exactly. And we'll we'll break down the tweet, <laughs> the tweet heard around the world. We'll break down the two games. We'll do a little new power ranking system that Sam's devised. We'll cover it all. But as first, as always, from my phone, the Oregon State fight song on your feet. Mm-mm-mm. It feels good, especially when the team is coming back home. Yeah, yeah. Yes, from a place like L.A., which unfortunately I am going to be visiting soon. Yeah, you went the wrong weekend. You missed it by a week. Well, as it turns out, yeah, that was a point of frustration, which we, you and I have talked about off this podcast. But um, as it turns out, that was a fortunate happenstance because I don't think I could have gone with the restricted capacity and all that i like to think that you would have found a way sure there had to have been someone who had like friends and family allotment that wasn't going to be using it so yeah maybe i could have snuck in i could have been watching the game and seeing you and what like an usher vest <laughs> standing keeping people off the court with a fake mustache or something like that yeah arguing exactly. with the referees a little too much Exactly. And there was plenty to argue about. Let's just take that. Let's jump into Oregon State's first game. The loss to USC on Thursday, 81 to 71. Should we just let's talk about the officiating just to, for the start? Because it was a heavy technical foul game. It, it'd be irresponsible to talk about other things first. Like you, in the time we've done this podcast, there have been, depending on who you ask, between three to five fucking you know screw jobs against the beavers in my opinion and this this is probably the worst one this is definitely the worst one um the right hand saying something i mean a 26 to 12 foul game at the McHale center where it's 15 to 3 in the second half was still better than than this one yeah this one was tough i think the one that stands out most to me is just the way they officiated Silva because they let UCLA players rough up Silva nonstop bump and grind. And because he's so tall, his arms are naturally kind of 
kind of a little higher up, but they, they whistled him for one flagrant foul and then they reviewed another call on him, not to mention the technical fouls on Warth and Deshaun. The Warth technical, I think, is more, I don't know, more suspect than the Deshaun one. The, the thing about both Warth and Deshaun's is that they were reactionary, and so it's fine to call a double. You're even Deshaun's, but like to, to give no warning at no point did they ever become demonstrative and do the big wave the hands thing that I can recall and make a point to stop the way that USC players were acting. And I'll say, I am not the person to get upset about the way they carried themselves as obnoxious and kind of inexplicable as it was because they were losing most of the game. But how you can watch that game and call three technical fouls on the other team and one on them is a crime. It's a crime. And Evan Mobley uh, talked about it a little bit after the game. He's a star player Isaiah for USC. Oh, Isaiah Mobley. Sorry. Yeah. Evan Mobley's younger brother, Isaiah Mobley. He talked about it after the game and he said, yeah, when there are no fans in the stands, the refs tend to call more technical fouls because they can hear what's going on which is a crazy response for a player on the team that got one versus three <laughs> to say. It's almost like they're aware that they were the higher seed was protected. Jocelyn Twinkle, or Tinkle rather tweeted that at some point during the game that they went very far out of their way to protect the higher seed, and I don't really understand why the desperation. Well, I think that they knew the storm was coming because U of O – beat UCLA before. So I think somewhere in the Pac-12 headquarters, they say we can't let the Oregon schools sweep the LA schools. Not this year. Not when both LA schools are in the top six. Yeah, that would have, that would have been a fun Sports Illustrated cover where the Beavers is, is only mentioned in over one sentence <laughs> while the Ducks get a, a full cover story. Shout-outs to Bud Withers for, for reminding us of that. Yeah, story last year. If yeah, if you didn't hear that episode, go back and, and watch it. It's a, or listen to it. It's a great story. This was a great game overall, though. Beavers are playing really well, and we called a couple of things in this game because we called the Jared Lucas spike game because um, he normally goes off against USC and UCLA, the schools that he wanted to play at. He ended up with twenty seven points, four rebounds. It, if he'd had just like a 10% of this, <laughs> I think in their previous game, they win uh, against the Ducks. But that's neither here nor there because it's all back. It seems like he's back in the groove that he was in before. That game seems like the anomaly now. Um, how do you think about his performance? Yeah, I mean, it, we it, it, what we expected. It, Jared is a baller. He, he He's money like that. And and he's always comfy playing, no matter who it is in Southern California, or even, I mean, he's had big games against Stanford on the road. He's had big games against Cal. He's basically done it to every Pac-12 opponent. And this was his kind of game. And he was the one that seemed to ignite the most emotion from USC because they were so frustrated they couldn't stop him from getting open for whatever reason with all the athletes and size and length they have. Yeah, very long, very athletic team. I think that's what hurt so much when Worth fouled out because that was the real turning point in the game when he fouled out with what? About three minutes to go, really late in the game. Which, and Worth's technical is so embarrassing. I mean, these officials act like they don't know these kids and this is his second season in the Pac-12. He's as mild-mannered as anybody. Not, anybody. And that's not biased from the Peyton years. 
podcast. It's just, it just happens to be true. And even after his technical, which I'm bringing up again because it's a personal foul. Right. Which is how we ended up fouling out so early in the game. And he they showed him on the bench and he's clear he's not even upset. He's clearly just trying to make the point that all he did was react to something that Isaiah White was doing. He that guy is a maniac, by the way. <laughs> yeah, he's very intense. <laughs> and the, but the whole game, I mean, and I kind of respect USC for sticking this way, even when they weren't playing well, but they scream in the face of their opponent a ton and curse a lot. And just with it being so quiet, they got away with a ton of it. <laughs> yeah. It, I'm just laughing because you're so passionate and it's, it's overwhelming me, but no, you're dead on. It was a truly lopsided affair. You could tell from television just that both teams are going at it and that USC is definitely the instigator in this, which, you know, feeds into just kind of, they're from LA. They're like these, they're this rich LA private school. Of course, they're the ones who are starting the trash talk against the humble team from small town, Oregon. I don't have a lot of nice things to say about Andy, Andy Enfield, but I will say again that like he, his team fits the culture (laughs) that he's going for. And that game, when they fell behind, they didn't, humble up they kind of just doubled down on we are way better than anybody we go against and we're going to let you know every chance that we get and the one technical they did get like lucas had to laugh at it just how long they let him isaiah white get away with screaming in his face like yeah who trips down the floor and it just i don't know there's yeah, something was- I respect about it, but the the amount of incompetence it exposes on the officials' part is is hard to take lying down. I warned you before this I was upset about the USC game. You did, and I, I truly appreciate it. And you're right. The level of hubris that they sp- displayed from start to finish, you got to respect that. They're in their own world. That's the best AAU team in the country right now. Right. Well, and there's like an organization and an effectiveness to it that Arizona State doesn't have. You know, listeners of the podcast might be thinking, why are they kind of giving USC this sort of half pass while they hate Arizona State? Just watch each of them. Watch Watch the way they go about it. Yeah. Another thing we call just because we're talking about uh, USC and just things that are kind of annoying, but maybe also have a soft spot in our heart is Drew Peterson scored 17 points, uh, had seven rebounds. It was their second leading score, but he got his thousandth career point. Drew Peterson, I pointed out on the last podcast, uh, every announcer loves him. They say that he's just like a team first player, that he does all the right things, all the little things that don't show up in the box score. When in reality, what he is is just a complete gunner. <laughs> and he was just jacking up shots this whole game. And I, I love to see that, I drew. He is the reason to me that... <laughs> Because we knew like Chavez Goodwin, who's great, by the way. He's a really good player. But we kind of figured he's going to have good numbers. That's not going to be what kills the Beavers. But it Peterson had 17 points, and it seemed like at least 12 of those were fadeaway long twos with two on the shot clock that bailed him out of bad possessions where the defense looked really good. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and USC had 18 offensive rebounds. I think especially towards the end of the game, what really hurt is just post play. You're kind of seeing the Beavers be a little thin up front, especially with, like we've talked about, Andela being hurt, Shull being unjustly sidelined by the crooked NCAA. 
Um, and then I think you're still trying to see if Kalu or Ahmad Rand, who's going to step up and be that reliable third post that you can kind of sub in or out. Because right now, both of them are not struggling per se, but just like not not providing necessarily the post presence that you need. I think Ahmad Rand's a little closer than Kalu, just because Kalu's a little bit more of a wing, still taking a lot of shots. I think once he gets back in a rhythm, he'll be really effective. But Ahmad Rand, in my eyes, is best poised to step into that backup role for Warth Altiche and provide that athleticism and that rebounding in the post when him or Silva are out. And obviously USC rebounded a lot with Warth in the game, but part of the reason they got 18 offensive rebounds is because Warth couldn't finish the game. And at that point they get pretty small. And I agree with you that Rand better fills that post presence than Kalu. Like it's unfortunate you couldn't mend them into one player. Because that <laughs> would be stud. kind of the whole package. Yeah, definitely. Um, anything else you want to cover from the USC game? We should mention Deshaun played very well on ESPNU, which is exciting for him. The matchup <laughs> with him and Boogie Ellis was a lot of fun. I, I would watch those two play a game of ones, 2-11, which has become like a thing on YouTube. In more yeah. recent years, Seth and I are more into that, I think, than, than you and Max. <laughs> yeah, they're both played really well. Um, I have to apologize to Boogie Ellis. I kind of questioned him coming in, but I think it's just definitive proof that Memphis is a sinkhole of talent. <laughs> and anyone who goes there is doomed right now because Boogie Ellis looks great playing for I USC. I saw him and, and Rand dap up after the game, and so it's it cool to remember. Yeah, they got out of a cesspool. They're each in better situations now, clearly. Boogie yeah. Ellis is sick. It. He's got the full Peyton years stamp of approval at this point. He does. He's got our endorsement. And Deshaun, yeah, Deshaun really just coming into his own. I think he's going to be making a push for some sort of all Pac-12 consideration uh, when you get down to the end because he's just so high up in steals and assists, and he's just playing so well right now. I think you're going to see him on a second team or possibly honorable mention by the end of the season if he keeps up this level. If he, if he keeps going toe-to-toe, -to -toe, like, I mean, he matched up really well with Boogie Ellis to me. Mm -hmm. And there's, I mean, he's supposed to be one of the top three guys. So, yeah, it's getting harder and harder to deny how good he is. No, definitely. And then just speaking of going toe-to-toe -to -toe with some of the best guards in the league, should we transition over to the UCLA game? Yeah. Yeah, so Oregon State took on UCLA on Saturday. They lost 81-65. to And just kind of leading in, I think to me, Deshaun had the best game of any Beaver. Him and Jared Lucas were tied with 12 points each, but I thought he went really, played really well toe to toe with Tiger Campbell, who I think is kind of what people think of point guards when they think of the Pac 12. They think of Tiger Campbell, mostly because yeah. of the run last year, but. Which we also called on this podcast that that was a matchup that favored the Beavers in ways that a lot of people that haven't seen Deshaun play as much as we have probably wouldn't realize. Yeah. And yeah, it was nice to see him play well. Yeah, we also called the unfavorable true thing that this was going to be a harder matchup for the Beavers than USC, even with Jaime Hawkins Jr. out um, being hurt, which was kind of a bummer because I'd love to see him play. We love Jaime, but it sucks even more when the guy that replaces him goes six for six. Yeah, um, what's his name? Jalen Clark. Jalen Clark. 11 points, career high, 11 points starting in place of Jaime Akis. I like Jalen Clark's game last year, too. He was a real, he was kind of their Gianni Hunt last year, just a real energizer off the bench. And yeah, he brings, he's a quick twitch athlete if there ever was one. The B, I mean, not that at times I was frustrated with the officiating in this game, too. The foul count at the end is something to point to, but 
the Beavers were going to have to play really, really, really well to beat UCLA, and um, they they didn't do good enough defensively. They gave, they were in it for quite like they lost by sixteen, but it was probably a closer game than that. I think they were down nine with the ball with around three minutes left or something like that. Yeah, it was close. It was closer than the score would indicate. They didn't play bad, but this is just a great UCLA team. I don't want to take a page out of your book too much, but Johnny Juzang is a lottery pick if there ever was one. Why can America not accept that he's amazing at basketball? He was so good against Oregon State. He ended up with 24 points, uh, six rebounds, three assists, but just I feel like he's Devin Booker. He's Devin Booker in college. He he does, yeah, he's kind of Devin Booker if he, if he started and was asked to do just a little bit more than just score. If he played for Kentucky and was their sixth man and just scored, he would be Devin Booker in college. He's so good, and his off-the-dribble jumpers were great. Um, and then you know me, I'm a huge uh, Jules Bernard guy. He played really well, 16 points, four rebounds, three assists. I feel like he gets lost a little bit in the shuffle because I don't think he's as popular as Tiger. Definitely not as Johnny Juzang or Jaime Jaquez, but... Jules Bernard, I love his game. So smooth. Him and him and Juzang were going to be tough for the Beavers because they're like six, seven wings who can take people off the dribble. And our best defenders are kind of either posts or guards. It's not necessarily a wing-oriented team, even though Okano, you know, he tries his best. He does well. Okano, and he he had a hell of a dunk in the first, I think, score of the game. He has started to look better and more comfortable. He hit a big three against USC it's encouraging to see from him but yeah he's not as quick as a guy like Jules Bernard and that's where Gianni Hunt would have been useful and has been useful for the past two years is coming off the bench and being able to guard somebody like that and stay in front of him a little better yeah this was a game where they missed Gianni which we haven't said as much lately we should we should officially uh talk about it just for a a second though here because he put out the yeah um, that he is officially stepping away from the team for mental health uh, issues, just trying to work on himself this year. And he's putting basketball on an indefinite pause. And, you know, I just think I speak for both of us when I say we wish him nothing but the best. Always love Gianni's game. Um, and just you got to do what's right for yourself. We love Gianni, you know, and it's nice to get some kind of confirmation instead of just game to game them acknowledging he's not there. And so hopefully that means that he'll be back next year, but whatever, whatever he needs to do, obviously. Do you have a favorite Gianni memory since just because we lost him kind of for the season? Um, well, you know, it was, it was great to hear coach Tinkle say to our faces that he has taken him and Jared specifically have taken years off of his life, but it is worth it. And we kind of said, well, same, you know, we we're, we're there with you, but, um, there the I believe the the timeout the the score followed by a turnover I think in the Wyoming game last year and he may have done this as a freshman as well but this is the one that comes to mind the best is uh he Tinkle called a timeout but Gianni was feeling good because right after he had kind of an inexplicable turnover he got a basket so with a big smile on his face he like the teacher and student kind of switched and Gianni had his arm around Wayne and was kind of telling him it's all good, which Wayne didn't have a ton of bandwidth for, you know, in the moment, I think he wanted to yell at him about the turnover that he just committed prior to that. But, but just a perfect encapsulation of their relationship. I thought. 
Yeah, that's that's really funny because that's similar to my memory because <clears throat> his freshman year, Gianni was a true spark plug off the bench. And I used to call him the Gianni Hunt specials, which is where he would get a steal but then turn the ball over <laughs> after getting the steal and like a kind of crazy fast break <laughs> type decision-making play. Um, I feel like he had a lot of those his freshman year. Um, definitely improved on it, but just like, cause he had so much energy, it was hard to contain. And on one of the plays, he got a steal, turned it over and Wayne was just furious, just screaming at him, screaming at him. And Gianni hadn't like ran over with a smile and patted Wayne's belly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like a joke. And you just, I don't know. Johnny had just always seemed like a funny, nice guy, and he seemed like he'd be fun to play with. So hope, wish him nothing but the best. Him and Jared, their fre that freshman year, which uh, you know, unfortunately ended the day after that great win against Utah. Two of the more endure endearing freshmen, though, in Beaver Definitely. basketball recent memory. Definitely. It was fun to watch them together, and they always were a fun backcourt. Um Back to the UCLA game. Uh, anything else you really want to touch on from there? Worth had a tough game. Zero points, four rebounds, four assists. Just kind of held in check by the athletes down low. Yeah, and, you know, the zero points stings. It's the the four rebounds. You know, like, they're not going to win if he has zero points and four rebounds. It's nice to see him get four assists, like do other things to help the team in, in, in a really quiet game. But you're almost definitely not going to win a game against UCLA on the road if Worry's not going to have more of a statistical contribution than that. You're definitely not going to win when you get zero and four and UCLA shoots 60% or whatever it was. Yeah. UCLA shot 61% from the field. Jesus Christ. <laughs> but only 16% from three. Which probably explains how it stayed closer, but they got points in the paint. I mean, one of their first possessions, Cody Riley hit a 19-footer with, like, his heels <laughs> on the three-point line. And no one loves Cody Riley more than me. I am quietly a huge Cody Riley supporter. He may be the worst person I've called a lottery pick. I'll, I can maybe <laughs> away from that one. But the dude, I don't know. I've just, like, I've been a fan of him since he was in eighth grade for a number of reasons. I know that makes me sound like as big a nerd as I am. But if he is hitting that shot, if their fifth offensive option is hitting the worst shot that he could take at the start of a game, that's probably not a good sign. No, not a good sign. And also, just to swing back to the refs one more time, UCLA shot 21 of 26 from the line. Oregon State went 7 of 8. See, yeah, and this isn't even like we don't need to expand the same energy talking uh -uh. about that. We can acknowledge that some of that is – UCLA having really good players and a really good offense and yeah, exactly being a bit small, but at the same time, especially in the second half, there were certain touch fouls that we can acknowledge it with a caveat that the Beaver bias is real and was on display in LA. There were certain calls that reminded me of the Arizona game in Tucson last year, where it's just like, you're clearly going by two different rules at each end of the <laughs> Which is not like I, I'll make one quick tangent. I recently coached a high school fall game just as a fill in and made the objection that I thought a player on my team got fouled shooting a shot. They said they didn't, which what can you do? And at the other end, the other referee awarded an and one for essentially the same thing. And the referee's explanation to me was well, we're seeing different things. 
And I said, well, that isn't exactly like that's that's the definition of unfair, isn't it? If it's going to be a foul for one team at one end of the floor, you have to call it the same way. And I couldn't believe that I had to make that objection for children. Of course, it wasn't for my own competitive nature or anything like that. And that was on display again in L.A. a little bit, both games. Yeah, I'm sure it wasn't for yourself because you're a player's coach and you got to protect your players. Ask anybody and that's what they'll call me exactly. Um, just on our way out of the L.A. games, they lost, Oregon State lost both of them, but the play is getting better and it's even starting to affect Nick Daschle. I have the tweet right here. I'm going to read it. This is from Nick Daschle of the Oregonian. Beavers are 3-13 and and 1-5. and Record doesn't reflect how OSU is playing of late. Think there's a path to 10 and 10 in conference. Take momentum into Pac-12 tournament. Now, I would have gotten roasted for tweeting that by well, I think, friends of ours. Well, I, I wanted to bring it up because, first off, we love the job that Nick does. We poke fun at him, but he's a great journalist. He covers the team really well, and he – knows a lot about basketball. And one thing that maybe we don't like about Nick, but other people appreciate is that he's a realist. And maybe that's why we accuse him of beaver bias because he calls it like he sees it. He doesn't put on the orange tinted glasses. So when I you have someone like that saying the record doesn't reflect the level of play, it backs up what we've been saying for a long time. It's extremely validating. I think that I, it's safe to say that we were both, you know, in jest frustrated with, how little Nick seemed to be swept up in the magic of what happened last year. And he was just sort of very matter of fact about so much of it. I even remember a tweet about him being upset about the travel accommodations in Indianapolis. And I was like, God, you are really living exactly moment to moment. But so exactly for him to make that observation following a game against the number three team in the country who easily could be one you know, they should have beat Oregon. I don't want to talk about that. But even the fact that Oregon went in, down there and swept those two teams right after they were gifted a win by the officials against the Beavers, it all just suggests they're right there with everybody else in this conference. They're right there, and I don't want to put – I know I have nothing to back this up, but I feel like whoever won the Oregon State U of O game was going to sweep the L.A. schools because that game was so hard fought, and I think the momentum from that game really pushes you through the California school. So U of O beat Oregon State, and then they were able to take that momentum and use it to overcome the L.A. schools. I just I think the Beaver bias is too strong to really allow that. <laughs> but maybe. I just think that, yeah, they, they're not going to – the Ducks will never have to be on the shitty end of a game like that. No, no. Unless they really get hit hard with sanctions at some point. <laughs> yeah, so it has to be a completely new era, new regime over at U of O for that to happen. Um, all right. Do you want to preview the new games or do you want to do your power ranking? Well, let's let's preview the Washington games first. Okay, so Oregon State is back at home this week. They are taking on Washington, University of Washington, the Huskies on Thursday, and they are taking on Washington State on Saturday. What game do you want to start off with? We'll go the Washington one first. I'm excited for that one. I'm excited for that one, too. I am starting to really enjoy this Washington team. They are led by Dijon Davis and um, what's his name? Terrell, uh, Terrell Brown, who was the point guard. So they have the point guard from Arizona last year and the point 
or I guess Dejon Davis isn't really a point guard, but point guard shooting guard from Stanford. They both transferred to Washington for their, you know, COVID senior years. Both of them had technically last year was their last year, but they get an extra one. And I like that because apparently they are first uh, cousins and they played together at Garfield High School. So this college team is essentially the reunion of the Garfield High School basketball team from like five years ago. And apparently Terrell Brown is um, Jason Terry, Jason the Jet Terry's uh, godson. Everybody assumes Dalen Terry at Arizona is related to him, and I love <laughs> that he isn't, but Terrell Brown is. But, yeah, I mean, they're a very likable team. They're they're much better than they were last year, which is not saying a lot. They, But I, as far as really bad college basketball teams go, I really liked them a year ago. And they're kind of the same thing this year, just with a couple better guards. Yeah, they're six and six. And me and you and Seth have been talking about it outside the pod. But Mike Hopkins, their coach, um, who was former Pac-12 coach of the year when he first came into the league. Two time, right? Two time after being a long time Syracuse assistant at uh, for Jim Beheim. He's in full panic mode this year. He knows the end is near. They've started to play a lot of man-to-man defense. They're deviating from the strict 2-3 zone that they've played for a long time. And I think that plays into their strengths because they have two. Terrell Brown and um, Dejon Davis are both exceptional def- uh, defenders, especially Dejon Davis. Yeah, they're similar to, to Deshaun Davis, spelled differently of the Beavers. He's very long. He has big hands. Um, yeah, and, and it makes sense for them to match up more. Same thing with Cole Badgema, the dude that transferred from Michigan, who was on the team last year and, and had moments. But he's a six seven wing. He's very thin, but they just have a lot of length they can throw at, at teams that go with three guards, especially. Yeah, Badgema's a really good shooter, too, and he's really come into his own the last like three or four games. Um, so he's a person to keep an eye on because I think – if he's shooting well, it gives them a lot more space because neither Terrell Brown or Dejon Davis are necessarily three-point shooters. Uh, they like to get to the rim a little bit more. So if you can pack it in and not to worry about Benjamin or Jamal Bay um, spreading the floor, that's pretty helpful. I do love Jamal Bay, um, younger brother, former Colorado standout, Tyler Bay. He's really good. I think he's a senior this year. He's just a solid 6'5 shooting guard, really guard-heavy Washington team. And they all have the ability to go like seven for eight. If they hit their first two, then you got the, then they're just going to be unconscious. And obviously they don't all always play that way. It's not a great team, but they've been a lot better lately. They looked really bad at the start of the season and have kept improving. They, it's the, the key for them is keeping their big dude Robertson too, because they're not huge up front. They're not huge up front. They do have – is Robertson the the transfer from uh, the Juco transfer? Yeah, he was on the team last year. He's number one, the huge jacked guy who's, like, not oh. very skilled offensively. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's good. And then also someone to look out for is the guy that um, transferred from Washington, dunked on Chet Holgram. What's his name? Langston Wilson. Yeah, Langston Wilson. Yeah, he, he's got some Ahmad Rand to his game. It's not exactly complete, but he will dunk on anybody. It'll be really interesting to see him go up for, against Ahmad Rand. It's going to be like yeah, a Spider-Man. We'll see if Warith can dunk on Riley Sorn again. Yeah, Riley Sorn's not getting as much playing time as he was last year because things aren't in quite as dire straits. For but he, is. he is but still he is. getting run. 
He is still getting run. For people who don't know, Riley Sword is the seven foot four walk on for for Washington. What a move to make at seven four. I mean, I guess like bet on yourself. Like that's that's a tough one to take at seven four. Like you can you can blame not getting the scholarships you want on a lot of things when you're of average size, but when you're one of the biggest human beings alive, that is tough to take. Hopefully, it works it works his way into it. Um, then Oregon State takes on Washington State at home. What are you looking for for the Washington State game? Washington is ten and seven right now. Not quite off to the. St- I think they were a little overhyped going into the season. A lot of people thought they should have been over Oregon State as the four seed in the Pac-12, and you're kind of seeing them float down towards the middle. I guess sink down towards the middle, towards average, but still a good team. I think they're really good, and they're they're the only team that comes close to the Beavers in the Pac-12 with the amount of both in and out of conference losses that were down to one possession or one one rebound or something like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely it's been closer. What are you uh, looking for in their uh, game? They're they're better than Washington. I like their their two transfer guards, Flowers. I love Flowers and – yeah, Flowers is great. Tyrell Roberts, too. Both of them are capable of having a game where they hit five threes. And so if they're both kind of on their game, it, it should be tough. But um, they have a lot of really huge athletic bigs, I, including one I've I've referred to as a lottery pick. And that <laughs> has not aged tremendously well. But F.A. Ogbegidi really good. And he did, like, climb up a lot of NBA draft boards his freshman year. But they have him and then Muhammad Gay, who's probably better than him, and then Deshaun Jackson, who's just as big as the two of them, if not bigger. And he's skilled and effective, too. So offensive rebounds are probably going to be a struggle, or keeping them from getting them, rather. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, your Abagidi take has not aged super well. He probably should have gone out after last year because he's not having a great it, it wasn't just me saying it the way it is with some of them. Like, I, I said that because he was – kind of the talk of last season for a while. Yeah, he's really similar to Worth, although I don't think his game has necessarily expanded as much as Worth has this year. You're not seeing him do as much off-the-dribble um, coast-to-coast things as maybe he did a little bit of those last year, not seeing it quite as much, but still probably one of the most athletic players, if not the most athletic player in the Pac-12. Yeah, he's the only one to give Worth a dunk as mean as Worth gave him <laughs> in the Pac-12. Definitely. So what are you predicting for the Washington schools? Clean sweep? It's going to be a clean sweep. Um, I think that the the first game, which we'll talk about it more later, but I, I is there any chance you, you want to go? To the Washington game? I'm yeah. going to the Washington State game, actually. Oh, you're going to be at that one. Well, hell yeah. Well, okay. Well, I may, maybe I'll get you to rally because it's an 830 tip. Oh, okay. Maybe I'm gonna be out of maybe. town this weekend, so we'll we'll see. But either way, if we're, regardless, I think it'll be free flowing. Washington still plays a lot of zone, but they're gonna match up a lot. They're gonna press full court. I think it'll be a higher scoring game. The Beavers have been really hot offensively lately, and this is probably not the team that's gonna slow them down. You're not going to want to run a zone defense against Jared Lucas. I'm just going to give Mike Hopkins that heads up right now. That's going to be a bad idea. Right, and he's clearly not in the mode of 
it didn't seem like he, it seemed like the team was super into it last year, but Hopkins was more like, fuck it. I don't care if we win a single game. I am coaching with principle. We won just two, three. And if you do it, run, I take you out. Even if you, the dude that transferred from West Virginia, who's not on their team that year, tried to fight him almost during a timeout because he banged two straight threes and then screwed up in their zone and gave up a layup and he took him out. <laughs> yeah, and it seems like this year he's like, now nah, I got to bend a little bit and win some games. <laughs> he's got to. He's he's on the hot seat. I think he's the coach in the Pac-12 with the most to lose this season. Yeah, I would think so. It's been a heavy fall for him. <laughs> a heavy fall. Because I don't think that Syracuse job is going to be there for him when he comes back. No, well, no, you can't ditch Bayheim for a Pac-12 job and expect that air apparency to still be there for you. <laughs> Okay. All right. Perfect. I'm also predicting a clean sweep for Oregon State. I think, yeah, offensively, they're just on a roll. I don't think Washington has the defense to stop them, especially if they try a little 2-3 zone. I think that's going to play right into Lucas's hands. Washington State, that's our sister school. You know I got a lot of love for Noah Williams. One of my favorite players in the Pac-12, a great defender in his own right. I think Deshaun Davis gives him the business up and down the court. I think Noah Williams is going to talk too much trash, and that's going to get Deshaun going. He, Noah Williams is going to try to act like Isaiah White and Chavez Goodwin and Drew Peterson and Boogie Ellis did did the uh, did Thursday night at the Galen Center. And he plays for Washington State, and once again, he's going to learn that the officials don't like that. When 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 they at when us and our sister school act out that way, our sister school Washington State is Oregon State's sister school. Don't let anyone ever tell you different. That's going right, to be a rock fight, though. A rock fight. I'm excited. Um, all right, you want to move into your power rankings? I'm excited for this. You came up with this segment. I did. I I I I haven't. We haven't discussed this much, but just because it's been a frustrating time, you know, it's it's hard to talk about these losses with this much Beaver bias at hand. And, and um, so fun thing to look forward to in February, we are going to be on the college basketball stories podcast, which without explaining it in too much detail, essentially we're going to have some drinks with some, with the hosts who, who do a great job. If you haven't listened to it and um, discuss, they're going to prompt us with some questions about the second GP two season, 15, 16, when they went to the tournament for the first time in our lives and, and, and yeah. anybody else under the age of about 31 years old right now. Um, so it should be a lot of fun. I'm excited to do it, but it got me thinking what would be the rankings of the pack 12 coaches from 12 to one. I would like to drink with. Oh, okay. You know, we would like to go to the bar. I'm thinking in my mind, they pick the place, you know, they're kind of running the night. And, and I'm just along for the ride. And so I came up re I, real quick with a list of 12 to 1, if, if you're down. Yeah, let's go. Let's hear it. Okay, well, 12 is obvious. Bobby Hurley. I don't think I need to explain that to anyone. <laughs> no, yeah, we would never want to get a drink of Bobby Hurley. Right. I don't I don't think that, that you don't need to justify that, that number 12. Number 11, I briefly considered putting him higher because I've actually met him a number of times and he's been really nice to me. One time at, I, when, when you would do those team camps as a high school coach, mm -hmm. you go to like a, a four U university for the weekend and stay there. And, and I coached an 8 a.m. JV game and Dana Altman like opened it up and he was very nice. Still number <laughs> 11, you run a dirty program that, that needs help from the officials to win in Corvallis. So 
not in the mood. Number 10, um, I do think there's a chance this would be fun, but Andy Enfield, I can't put him higher than that with yes. what happened Thursday. Also runs a dirty program with a lot of FBI ties to it. Has almost no discernible personality. I mean, I'm sure Andy Enfield does have a personality, but he's so you know that things it's a it's a house of cards over there and he's not making any noise at all. So I I can't even tell you what his voice sounds like. Exactly. Like I could see the the scenario where it's fun. Like he picks this cool place in Malibu and he's like a low-key funny guy that just doesn't show it as much, but probably not. And he'd probably piss me off 15, <laughs> 20 minutes in. Uh let's see. I think so far not a lot of controversy, but Number nine is Craig Smith of Utah. Um, don't know a lot about him. Maybe he benefits from that. Maybe he doesn't. But a guy <laughs> that seems to prefer Utah that much, this is his like third job in the state of Utah as a head coach. Probably not my guy. Probably not like going to plan a fun evening. No, I, I would agree. That's a good call. Okay, go on. <laughs> right. He he And he, he just – he looks like – um. He looks kind of exactly like number eight on my list, Tommy Floyd at Arizona. Now, now Tommy Floyd, I feel like could be fun because he's traveled all over the world. He's recruited athletes from all over the world. I got to feel like he's got fun stories. I got to feel like he's fun to get a drink with, especially when he's going to a country where, you know, it's legal age to drink at 16 or whatever. Sure. And, and also a guy, I like the dynamic of a dude that's down to be a lead assistant and mm-hmm. just catch W's at Gonzaga that long. He's probably pretty chill. Yeah, you know, if he has any sense of humor about coaching at Arizona, he might enjoy me potentially. <laughs> so yeah, Tommy Floyd, this is where it starts to get like maybe I actually it would be fun in general with any of these dudes, but number seven is Mick Cronin. Maybe okay. he could be number eleven. Like that's a risky one to me. He seems very mean. Apparently didn't the three man weave guys say that when they covered the the Maui Invitational, like pre-COVID, when it was actually there, he just stayed in his room the whole time. Yeah, I think that was uh, Titus and Tate for the for oh, Fox. Right. But yeah, but yeah, no, I've heard. I think he's a workaholic, but maybe he's a alcoholic, and that could always be fun. True. Yeah, that's a good combination when it's a basketball coach, and he and I both know that to be true. But um. People named Mick are normally fun to drink with, in my personal experience. Yeah, anybody that's named Mick, and your dad is named Hep, and he is a legendary <laughs> high school coach. Like, it's possible that they're pretty funny, and and also, yeah, can like definitely drink a bunch. Okay, which is a plus if it's going to be a one night only thing. Number six, and this may be I don't I didn't know where to put the next couple guys, but Mike Hopkins. Seems like a chill dude. The way he coached his team last year suggests he's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, he. Uh, I think anyone who's been around Jim Beheim that long has got to have some good Big E stories. So that, that's worth a drink or two. And he seems fun. Like when he gets really mad at his players, he seems like he's funny about it. That he's at <laughs> least, he's not like a complete sociopath maniac like Izzo. Like he's aware of himself enough to maybe laugh about some of this at some point in the future. And he'll probably have a lot of time here at some point in the future to get a beer with you. Potentially. Yeah. And it, I don't know. It's, it'd be fun to get, pick his brain while drinking. Like why just two, three, like really what's, what's <laughs> the thinking there? I've never gotten to talk to one of those guys like that. Okay. Five is Mark Fox. He seems like a nice dude to me. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mark Fox is cool. You know, he's been drinking a cow a lot the last couple of years too. Right. He he's a bald guy, which I respect. You know, he he rocks the suit even though he's clearly physically uncomfortable doing so. <laughs> he does always look. So weird. He looks like one of those guys who, like his assistant coaches look more comfortable during the game than him. And they're always out yelling and he's kind of like on the bench more. I feel like, yeah, like he, he's, he's just in it and needs to sit and watch. <laughs> he doesn't feel like clapping or anything. And <laughs> yeah, he lives in Berkeley. That could be a fun night. I bet he goes to some cool spots. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So four is Jared Haas, like played at Stanford. Right. Right. Those are cool dudes. Like, I feel like I would enjoy him. And even if he didn't care for me, he's like a smart, amicable dude with a Stanford degree. Like he can, he can, he knows how to get along with people. Oh yeah. I'm sure he'd be very cordial. <laughs> exactly. And, and potentially it, he'd actually be cool. Like I, we would definitely have a lot to say about Zaire. Oh yeah. He would love you. He'd, he'd, he'd love you for banging the Zaire drum. He's actually right. playing kind of well like- Maybe he knows who we are just because of how much Zaire praise we've given. (laughs) I doubt it. Okay, go on. Okay, so number three, we all know who number one is. Number, I should have said number twelve and one at the beginning. Number one is Tinkle, of course. It's another one, much like Hurley Blast. I don't have to explain it. Um, I kind of wish I had put him two instead of three, but Kyle Smith at Washington. Mm. And I put, I knew I was going to put him high because Kyle Smith seems like he drinks at the bucket brigade. (laughs) He does. Which is the bar on 82nd Avenue that you, Seth, and I occasionally watch Beaver games at. It's an intimidating environment. (laughs) Kyle Smith seems like he'd be real red faced with like two huge plates of chicken bones in front of him. You know, like maybe a little angrier than I like to get, but kind of my <laughs> style, a dude to hang out with. Lose yeah, money on a football game, you know? Yeah, that's that's pretty accurate in my mind of what Kyle Smith is doing on the weekends. Okay, that was good. And then I, I totally agree with your last one. Go on, read, read the last one. Number two is Tad Boyle. Of course, yeah, I think I think that's easy. Big dude. He if if you had to pick a coach most similar to Tinkle. That seems like Tinkle might kick it with. Maybe you were wrong, but this is just the, the you know the obs from from our observation. I think that's Boyle played at Kansas. Seems like a funny dude. Seems like he would make fun of us kind of the same way that Tinkle has. Yeah, and I like I like Boyle too because he was in finance um, before he became a coach. Then had like a near death experience in a car crash. And like woke up and was like, I need to be a basketball coach. Basketball is where my passion at. So I like someone who's living their best life, you know, has an experience that makes them really put their inner self out there. That's cool. Yeah. You see it. I mean, like, it just seems like he should have known that already. Like he was, he played for Kansas. <laughs> you know, it's, it's pretty easy to stay attached to the game at that point. But yeah. You respect him all the more for following the money for a bit. Go get yours, dad. That coaching grind. So, yeah, respect to all of them, starting with, I guess, Mick Cronin, but maybe not. But maybe not. Yeah, the Mick thing could go one of two ways for sure. But if <laughs> if he's the dude I'm picturing in, in the optimistic mindset, then, then yeah. All right. That was great. That was a great segment. I like that a lot. Well, so maybe we'll do some more of those. We're trying to find more guests. If you know guests to put on this podcast, and some of you – honestly, probably do, then yeah, you should tell us. 
Yeah, and we'll get to, we'll bring back some of the the heavier hitters from last season too. But honestly, we kind of want to save them for when the Beavers are really rolling, which we know is going to happen towards the end of the season. So we don't want to burn through any of the high-profile guests to talk about a team that's still in its growing pains instead of when they're 10 feet tall. Exactly. Like, we're not going to have Maddie Cox back on when they can be like, we told you so. We're waiting <laughs> for the tide to turn. Yeah. Turn. I guess we do have a lot of I told you so's coming our way. Um. All right. Any shout-outs on our, on our way out? I, I have to once again shout out Lee the Stinger Pierce, who won quite a bit of money by um purchasing an extra half point in the Oregon State UCLA game. And so his favorite beaver is now Ahmad Rand for hitting a little jump hook with about six seconds left in that game that that erased the woes of his night. Um so yeah, he, he insisted I do so, but um in that final possession, my mind was on him. <laughs> yeah shout out to lee and i want to give a shout out to nick dashell for really coming around for watching the games that tweet was all i needed to see to know that nick is watching the game so good job nick awesome. keep up all the good work we the fact that nick clearly cares so little what we <laughs> what our opinion of him is makes me respect him all the more yeah, I think Nick is like low key nagging us. Even, <laughs> you know what? Like, I, I somehow I crave Nick's approval now. Yeah, yeah. We'll see what it'll take to get him back on. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Go cheer on the Beavers as they take on Washington, Washington State as the tides turn in these Pac 12 games. And as always, fuck the Ducks. Fuck the Ducks. Go Beavers forever. See y'all soon.